it. And that's the word of God. Joseph didn't have it. It wasn't even penned yet. Yet Joseph stayed right through everything. Joseph had no church. He had no church. He had no pastor that loved him, that prayed for him, that taught him the Bible. He had no church family that would pray for him and with him. He had nobody to help minister to him. When it came to spiritual things, for the most part of the, the, the early 30 years of his life, Joseph had no one. He did not even have a supportive family. We'll, we'll look into that, that family a little bit in the, the message next Sunday evening. He, he didn't have that. Many of you in this room, uh, young people, you have a mom and dad that love the Lord, that love you, that protect you, that, that care about you, that pray over you, that try to teach you the Bible. To be honest, Joseph didn't have that. Even his dad and Jacob was a man of faith. But when it came to his family, Jacob was not a good husband and Jacob was not a good dad. Um, Jacob was responsible for creating part of Joseph's home life that was such a nightmare for him. Even when, when God began to speak to Joseph as a 17-year-old and those, those dreams came to him and he began to share them, his dad should have understood. God had given and spoken to Jacob by dreams when he was a young man. When Jacob began, or Joseph began to say, I've dreamed a dream, his dad should have said, I understand what you're talking about. And I know we can't see the, 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 the end of all of this right now, but man, God's evidently got a plan. He, he didn't get that support from his dad. His, dad, his, his dad's pride got, got injured just a little. Shall, shall your mother and I bow down before you as well as your brethren? And, and his dad treated him like somehow there was something wrong with him. He had no support system, no family, no church. He had no Bible, but he had God. He had God. And Joseph found out that if he has God, he had all that he needed. In spite of what Joseph did not have, Joseph stands out in the word of God as someone that every one of us can look up to and say, by the grace of God, I'd like to be the kind of person that Joseph was. Since his story begins at the age of 17 and it goes through his death at the age, I believe, of 110, Joseph's life ought to be of interest to every one of us. Every young person ought to sit up and take note. Uh, every 20-something-year-old ought to sit up and take note. Every young adult in their 30s ought to sit up and take note. Uh, every parent and every grandparent ought to sit up and take note. Joseph got to know his, his great, great grandchildren, and he had an influence on his family for generations. So we need to pay attention to this young man by the name of Joseph. Now, with all those things stated, before we go in-depth, and go almost back to the start at Genesis 37 and walk maybe verse by verse through much uh, of these chapters in Genesis, I want to draw your attention to three verses of the Bible about Joseph. Look, if you would, chapter 39 and verse 3. Joseph has been sold as a slave by his brothers. He has jumped from the frying pan into the fire. At this point in his life, things have never been worse. And when you and I are at our, in our worst extremity, that shows what kind of a believer we truly are. 
But notice in that situation, we'll start at verse two, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. If you underline or highlight portions of your Bible, would you underline or highlight verse number three, the first part of it, and his master, an unsaved Egyptian military leader, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Look at the latter part of the same chapter, verse number 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. It's got even worse if that was imaginable. And he's now not just in Potiphar's house. He's in prison for a crime he did not commit. There was no trial. There was no defense. He's thrown in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. Whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because that the Lord, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Okay, verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything under his hand because the Lord was with him, because the Lord was with him. Could you underline that phrase, because the Lord was with him? Now I want you to go to Genesis chapter 41. Years have passed. We don't know how old Joseph was when he went into prison. It's believed maybe around the age of 20. We know that the day that he, he left that prison, he was 30 years of age. The Bible says that, and we'll look at, at that in some detail uh, as we move on. But look at verse number uh, 37. Joseph has stood before Pharaoh. He's interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. Verse 37, the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this? a man in whom the spirit of God is. You might want to underline that question that Pharaoh asked. Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? Now, I want you to notice something about all three of these statements, okay? From chapter 39, verse 3, 39, verse 23, and chapter 41, verse 38, each of these statements were made about Joseph by unsaved people. Potiphar was an unsaved Egyptian. He was, not a, he was not a believer as was Joseph. The keeper of the prison was an unsaved Egyptian looking on. Pharaoh was not only an unsaved man, but Pharaoh subscribed to the Egyptian theology that said that Pharaoh himself was descended from the gods, that he was a son of Ra, the sun god, and thus to be worshipped as such. And yet that man with that pagan belief system looked at Joseph and he asked the question, can we find such a, a man as this is? Uh, one as this is a man in whom is the spirit of God. So all these statements are made about Joseph by unsaved people. Only one of these statements were made when Joseph was in a good place. 
In Genesis 39, uh, in verse 3, he is a servant, a slave, bought and paid for by Potiphar, serving in his house. He's gone from being the favored son in a wealthy family to being a slave in, 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 uh, in an Egyptian's house. Not a good place to be. The second man who made that similar statement about him was the keeper of a prison. And now Joseph is a convict. He is there with no evident uh, uh, hope of parole or pardon. He is just there. We know he is going to be forgotten there. Joseph is in a bad place in his life. And even in Genesis 41, would you understand that Joseph doesn't know whether he's in a good place or not? He was brought out of the prison just that morning. He was brought out so rapidly that uh, they had to get someplace and, 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 and let him, him uh, uh, bathe and shower and, and shave and all that. And, and uh, they had to find some clothes for him to put on so he could be rushed into Pharaoh. Joseph had no idea whether he was going to talk to Pharaoh, uh, do what he's supposed to do, and then just get thrown right back in the slammer. He had no idea what it held. So none of these things happened when Joseph was in a good place. They all happened when Joseph was in, if you will, the worst of places. And each of these two statements requires us to ask two questions. This is, this is where we need to sit up and pay some attention. Potiphar, the Bible says, back, look at 30, chapter 39, verse 3. His master, that's Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him. The keeper of the prison also looked not to anything because when he saw Joseph, he knew the Lord was with him. When Pharaoh met him on the very first meeting, within minutes, he saw and he knew that the spirit of God was in him. See, here's question number one. What did they see in Joseph that convinced them so mightily that the Lord was with him? What did they see? He didn't glow in the dark. He didn't have a little badge that said, the Lord's with me. You know, like you got, I voted today. There was none of that. These were unsafe people beholding this guy in the worst moments of his life, one man on the very first meeting of him, and every one of them came to the same conclusion. God is not only with this guy, but Pharaoh said the spirit of God is in this guy. Now, he doesn't understand his theology. We get that. He's not saved. But, but what, what did they see in Joseph? You say, well, they saw that the Lord made everything that he did to prosper. Go back to Genesis 39. And the Bible certainly says that. The Lord is with Joseph and he was a prosperous man. Verse three, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. I want you to understand something. It does not say the Lord was with Joseph and they saw it because he was prosperous. Those are two separate statements. They saw that the Lord was with him and that everything he did prospered, and that was by the hand of God. His, pros his prosperity in his efforts and in his work were separate from the statement that they saw that the Lord was with him. 
You see, if we're not careful and we think that that prosperity was the, the sign, that's how we know God's with him, then we've now entered into the realm of the prosperity gospel. That if you're right with God, God will make you rich. That is not a biblical teaching. Keeping your place here in Genesis 39, can you go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6? 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse number three, I'm going to begin reading as you're maybe still turning. First Timothy chapter six in verse three. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Did you know that sound doctrine produces sound living? Sound doctrine will always produce godliness. That's a word we don't even hear about today. Today, the Christian life's all about, you know, uh, I feel warm and fuzzy about Jesus. If your warm and fuzziness about Jesus doesn't make you live a godly life, you don't have the real thing. You're drinking, some, you're drinking somebody's Kool-Aid. The doctrine which is according to godliness. The Bible says he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. And notice this, supposing that gain is godliness. And the last part of verse five says it all, from such withdraw thyself. Now, is there anything wrong with having money in the bank? No. Anything wrong with having a nice house? Anything wrong with having a nice car? No. Do you understand God gave all those things to Solomon in abundance? God blessed him with all of those things. But Paul said, those that suppose that gain is the sign of godliness, he said, that's perverse, that's false doctrine. You're to get away from that, withdraw from that. Verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. This idea that, that they saw that the Lord was with Joseph because he was prosperous doesn't line up with Bible theology. You understand that Job was right with God when he was the richest of the men of the East and he was still right with God and there was none like him in all the earth when he had nothing left to his name. Um, he was as, as much in favor and pleasure with Almighty God in poverty as he was in great riches. So yes, the Lord made what he did to prosper, but that's, that, that's a whole separate issue on that. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. We have to get this established so that we can really get to the heart of what they saw in Joseph. Psalm 73, verse 1. This is a psalm of Asaph, one of the, the, the choir directors uh, in, in Jerusalem. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Amen to that? But as for me, Asaph said, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. In spite of the fact that God is always good, he said, I almost fell away from God. Why? For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He didn't say the prosperity of the righteous, the prosperity of the wicked. Do you understand that most of the people in Hollywood are multi, multi-millionaires? 
And most of them are as wicked as the day is long. Do you realize that most of the billionaires in our world are wicked people? So if prosperity is a sign of God's presence, then we got a real problem with our theology, don't we? So that yet Joseph prospered in everything that he did. Uh, we, we understand that, but that's not what they saw. Do you realize in the prison, Joseph didn't have two nickels to rub against each other. He lived in prison garb. He ate prison food. He lived in a cell at night. He may have been free to roam around on the prison grounds during the course of the day, but he was still a prisoner nonetheless. You understand when he stood before Pharaoh for the first time, he was penniless. If Pharaoh would have said, you know, as a reward for what you just did for me, I'm going to let you go free, he had no house to go to. He had no apartment to go to. We have no idea where he got the clothes he was wearing because he owned none. They were probably hand-me-downs or something that somebody hastily assembled for him. He, he had nothing. He had no bank account. He had no money. He wasn't financially prosperous. In fact, Pharaoh didn't see prosperity at all. And yet Pharaoh looked at this young man. And on his very first meeting, there was something about Joseph that stood out like a neon light. And he said, can we find such an one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? So what did they see what did they see in Joseph here's your homework I want you to read Genesis 37 through 50 this week and I want you to read it with a pen and paper in hand and I want you to write down the things that you find that you think that they saw in Joseph that convinced them that God was with him see I can tell you tonight I can take your scripture, but you need to get involved on this one. Okay, I, I've, I've learned a long time ago that what we discover in our own stays with us a lot longer than that which somebody else just tells us. That can tend to go in one ear and out the other. I'm talking about you teenagers. Next Sunday night, we may have a, a time where I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And tell, me, tell me one thing you found that you believe was the reason that Potiphar looked at Joseph and saw that God was with him. Give me a reason. What, what did the, the jailer see that he knew God was with him? It's astounding if you'll take the time to look at it. So we have to ask ourselves, what did they see so that they, they knew the Lord was with them? There's a second question we have to ask. I'm asking a lot of questions tonight, and I'm not giving a lot of answers on purpose. On purpose. Question number one is, what did they see in Joseph that told them that the Lord was with him? Question two, what do people see in you that tells them that the Lord is with you? Do they see anything? What should they see? People watch us all the time. They watch us all the time. So what do they see? Everybody that Joseph came in contact with saw something that was so real and so dynamic that these unsaved people said, God is with him. 
Pharaoh even kind of echoing the words God said about Job. Can we find such an one as this is? A man in whom the spirit of God is. So question. Does your boss see anything in you that tells him and convinces him that God is with you? Or does he hear you talking and swearing and working and behaving just like all the other unsaved people around? What do your neighbors see in you? Do they they see evidence that they know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the Lord is with you? What should they see? How how do they know that? The people you rub shoulders with. Let's let's get it right down to this. The, The people in your own house. Do they know that the Lord is with you? Not because you tell them, oh yeah, uh, the Lord's with me. I mean, do they look at you and do they know that the Lord is with you? Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, the father of the faithful. Lot, if you will, had the privilege of growing up in the home of Abram, who later became Abraham. He saw the faith of that man. He knew the testimony of that man. Lot was a wealthy man by his own right. In fact, Lot's wealth got so great that the land of Canaan could not support the flocks and herds of Abraham and Lot together. And it was causing strife between their herdmen. And so Abraham just told Lot, he said, you just look wherever you want. And if, if you go to the right hand, I'll go to the left or vice versa. It gave him the choice and Lot chose him the best part of the land, the well-watered plains of Jordan uh, and all that. Lot was a wealthy man. We know from the New Testament that Lot was what the Bible calls a righteous man. Now, there's not a lot in Genesis that tells us that. The word righteous, he had a righteous soul, would would lead us to believe that in in modern vernacular, Lot was a saved man. That's that's what it means. Lot was a saved man. He knew truth. He believed it. Lot was a saved man, but that's as far as any of Lot's faith went. He went to the city of Sodom, the wealthiest city in the region. It was a place that was like to Egypt, but it was a wicked place. The Bible says the men of Sodom were sinners before the Lord and exceedingly wicked. The sin of sodomy gets its name from that city. And when Lot got the chance to pick where he was going to live, the Bible says he pitched his tent towards Sodom. What that, what that means is when in the morning when Lot would, would walk out of his tent, he's facing the city of Sodom and all of the glitz and the glamour and the power and the money and all that money could buy that was present there. And as time went on, Lot moved from pitching his tent towards Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom. And eventually he got himself so ingratiated with the people of Sodom that he's got a political uh, responsibility and he's sitting in the gate. He's a judge in Sodom. He is a somebody. To be a somebody in a place of wickedness uh, is no prize. It is no crown to be, be had. It'd be better to be a nobody in a tent where righteousness dwells than to be a somebody in a place like Sodom. But Lot never got the message. Lot had a vast family. We know that he had sons and daughter-in-law. 
So he had at least two sons and two daughters-in-law. We know that he had daughters and sons-in-law. So he had at least two daughters who were married. He had some single daughters. Um, so we, we know he had an extensive family. And there he is, a man who, who uh, in, inside he's a saved man. And uh, there he is raising his family. Of course, you know Genesis 19. The Lord sent the angels with the message that Sodom's about to be destroyed, telling Lot to get his family out of there while there was still time. Look, if you would, please, in verse 12. And the men, that's the angels that God sent, said unto Lot, Hast thou any here besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Was Lot's message true? 100%. Was Lot obeying God? Yes or no? 100%. But notice the last part of verse 14. Could you read it with me? But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Why? Why didn't they take him seriously? Why did they think he was just goofing around? It was just some stupid joke. Why did he seem as one that mocked? Why? Julie? He didn't live it. His sons-in-law never saw God with him. His daughters never saw God with him. His sons never saw God with him. Even though we know from the New Testament, he had a righteous soul. He would be what we'd call a saved man. He lived such a despicable life in front of his family that when he finally tried to talk to them about God, it was a joke to them. If there's anybody that ought to know that the Lord is with us, it's those that live in our house. Sir, does your wife know that God is with you by more than just you say that he is? Does she watch you, how you treat her, how you treat your children, how you treat other people, how you talk, um, uh, where your eyes stray and roam when you're out in public? Does she, have, does she see you reading your Bible and on your knees before God? Does she see the tears roll down your face as you pray over your children and your grandchildren? Or is that just something she sees when she comes to church? Does she see that the Lord is with you. And hey, lady, does your husband see that the Lord is with you? When he listens to you on the phone, does he hear that which honors God or that which destroys God's people? Does he see that God is with you? Does he see you with your Bible open? Does he see you at the altar? Does he see you trying to share uh, Christ with other people? Moms and dads, do your children see that the Lord is with you? I know of a man who lives in another state, attends a church that we started. For years, Sunday morning, the family would get ready for church, he amongst them. 
he'd pull up in front of the church and let the wife and the little kids out. A couple little girls, a couple little boys would let them out and they'd go into church and get ready to go to their Sunday school classes. He'd pull behind the church, sit in the parking lot, and he would stay there till church was over, never darkened, never walked inside. He's dressed, he walked out of the house with his Bible. He's dressed for church, but he's sitting in the parking lot. Doesn't go to Sunday school. Doesn't go to church. Now, his kids are in Sunday school and junior church. They don't know if daddy's in the adult Sunday school class or not. They don't know if daddy's in the morning service or not. All they know is he drops them off to go park the car. And when service is over, he's right there opening the door and mom gets back in. Now, by the way, mom, mom knew dad wasn't sitting with her in church. But the kids had no idea. But you understand, those kids don't stay children forever. The oldest of those children are now in high school. And they have a big question mark in their mind. So all this time, we thought dad loved God. And we thought dad believed the Bible. And we thought dad was going to church with us. And we find out dad was doing none of, none of the above. And all of a sudden, his, realize, his kids are realizing, we thought our dad loved God. And now they're realizing if he said he does, his life doesn't add up. Dads, what are you teaching your kids? You're teaching far more by your example than you are anything else in your life. Moms, what are you teaching your kids? Are you getting into church, into the car after church and slicing dice, and dicing the, the preacher, slicing and dicing the other people in the church? You understand all those little people in the back seat, they're taking it in. From the time our kids are real little, they're taking stuff in and we don't always know how it's registering, but it is registering. Rob and the kids were on their way to school one morning and uh, there was a, a merge where you, you, you pull out and get onto 691 and, and it's, it's always congested in the morning because the sun is coming in everybody's eyes and it's always, uh, you know, uh, uh, hard getting in and stuff like that. But there's always those people who they don't believe that they are supposed to wait their turn. They'll drive up the, you know, the side of the road. There's no lane there and, and, you know, merge in and make everybody. How many know those kind of people? They're not going to heaven. They're, but they're there. They're, they are like the, the entitled people. And somebody did that to Rob. And Rob said, are you kidding me? Why on earth would you do that? Nathan was still five. This was a couple months ago. I hadn't turned six yet. Nathan's sitting in the back seat and going, that's because they don't love the one true God. Five and a half year old kid. Your kids are picking up on it. So you better understand something. You might think you're hiding it from them, but they're probably seeing a whole lot more than you. When it comes time that your kids are trying to make some wrong decisions and all of a sudden now you're going to be Mr. Godly or you're going to be Mr. Leader, are they looking at you like, yeah, what a joke. You don't even go to church. You don't even go to Sunday school. I've never seen you pass out a tract in my life. Does your family see that the Lord is with you. See, it's got to be more than just what we say. What do they see? What ought they see? So we have two questions in front of us tonight. Again, I'm not giving a lot of answers, and I understand that. It's by design. What did all of those unsaved individuals see 
in Joseph that so convinced them that the Lord was with him. And by the way, they were right. They were spot on. That's why he had such an amazing influence. That's why God used him. What did they see in Joseph? That's your homework. That's your homework this week. Now you can just fluff it on and say, well, pastor will tell us next Sunday. Maybe I will. And maybe I won't. Maybe I'll give you a pop quiz. Yeah, with prizes or something, I probably won't. But I'd like to challenge you as a sincere believer, a sincere student of the word, would, would you realize how important this is and say, I'm, I'm going to look at what the Bible says in Genesis 37 to 50. So what did they see? What could they possibly see in a guy who had no Bible, no church, and no family to support him, and yet they saw God all over him? What did they see? And then here's the second question that we have all got to take to heart. Do people see God in us? What do they see? Because I'm guaranteeing you, they see something. They see something. Do you understand how brokenhearted Lot had to have been as he walked away from Sodom that morning? He wasn't allowed to look back and he heard the thundering of the fire and brimstone fall from heaven. Abraham described it like a furnace going up. It would have resembled almost like a volcano erupting. And he hears that. He's probably far enough away that he doesn't hear the screams of his children. It may have happened so fast that it was like done. He, he can't see his house that was everything to him burning to smithereens. Do you understand that the ruins of Sodom, they, they believe they know where it is. But there's nothing left except charred stuff. I mean, it, it was that demolished. How heavy would Lot's heart have been to know those are my kids? And I tried to tell them, but it was too late. They thought it was just a joke. Do you think that if Lot could have done it over again, he would have gone back and done it differently? But it was too late. What did they see in Joseph that they knew he had God? And what do people see in you? Do they know by what they see that God's with you, or do they know just the opposite? Can we bow our heads for prayer? Father, this...